Good morning, everybody. It's April 15th, 2022. I'm Charlie Fink with Ted Shilowitz and our guest, Mike Boland. It's This Week in XR. And man, what a week it is, Ted. Morning, Mike. Morning, Charlie. Nice to have the three of us to talk this week because it was a very active week across the sectors, right? So uh, lots to go through. You've got a laundry list, Charlie. I know. Should we start with Elon Musk, Mike? Sure. But the crazy thing about this week, just while we're talking about the activity levels, you know, it was kind of a departure from the bearish state of 2022 we've seen so far with, you know, public and private market investment valuations. If you were to squint your eyes this week, you know, it, it was like it was a year ago. Right. We're partying like it's 2021. There you go. <laughs> every every like 18 months, we have one of these moments, right, where everything sort of coalesces and people do realize that there's lots of forward momentum going in here and then lots of dollars start to get kind of reactivated and re-energized. And sometimes yeah. it just all happens in one week, kind of like this week, right? Exactly. Yeah. The momentum for this thing, even though nobody knows what it is, is quite incredible. And I guess my question is, is it, you know, converging in, I mean, is this what Web3 means where crypto and VR, and spatial computing, and mobile, and the digital twin of the real world just gets into one giant cultural mashup that can never be disentangled. Yeah, right. Converging or coalescing maybe is the right sort of terminology, where the investment community, the, the various business sectors are all realizing there is a there there, and it's going to be even bigger than anybody sort of anticipated, but there's still a lot of jockeying, right? I mean, Mike, you track this all the time, and there's going to be still a lot of fallout, a lot of people that think yeah. they've got it right that won't get it right, right? I, so. I think that's a key point. When we're looking at this, you know, the thing that we're all sort of calling the M word or the things that are all converging, all those moving <sighs> parts you guys just mentioned that are converging into Web3 or the M word, um, you know, I believe like a lot of people do that we're in somewhat of a bubble. And, and that's not to say when people point out the word bubble, usually it's taken as like, this is all a bunch of BS. And I don't think that's the case. There's definitely a there there. But I think that, you know, there's a bit, it, it's the pendulum swing. It's the overexcitement on the sort of buy side of the, you know, investment markets that will sort of reach a correction at some point, but then rising from those ashes will be something meaningful. And that's exactly the pattern we keep seeing. We saw, I mean, that pattern defines the early 2000s dot-com bubble that ended up being, you know, as or more meaningful than all the irrational exuberance had projected at the time, but it just ended up being something that was slightly different than all those visions. And it just took a lot longer. So I think we're probably in some of those early stages of that, just like, that's not a new concept. I mean, it's the typical sort of pendulum swim, the, the hype cycle and all that, but I think that's where we are now. Um, so all of that investment this week, you know, could just be part of that, you know, you know, figuring out what's going on, jockeying for positioning, as you said, Ted. Why don't you kick through them, Charlie, since uh, we talked in the scope and people were like, so what were they, right? What, what <laughs> well, of course. Well, first of all, uh, Epic Games raised another $2 billion. Right. Uh, $2 billion with a B. Yeah. With a B. Uh, at a $31.5 billion valuation, which is what Unity is valued at in the public markets. So there's an IPO afoot here, um, maybe next year. Right. Uh, and so Sony wants to get their, you know, 30% premium or whatever it is from being so deeply in bed with Epic Games and Epic Games wants cash. So it was a rather high valuation uh, given the, 
revenue of the company, but it's just on a growth trajectory that is like Google or Amazon-like. So I think anybody who can get into it now is really getting in on the ground floor of what could be a major metaverse platform. And and how much do we think of that monstrous investment has to do with this Legoverse that is uh, part of part of that. Well, clearly there was some kind of love in with Epic and the family behind uh, both Lego and the investment fund. Yep. So yep. you know, the I mean, the brand thing was kind of a big nothing burger. I mean, Lego is you know on Unity in the Unity store also for free. So obviously they've been promoting spatial Legos. It's actually a great idea because mm -hmm. isn't that just yeah. Minecraft? They're, they're blocks. So, so yeah. you know, Lego has lots of ways that it can go in developing your brand. And, and okay, so Unreal will be the platform. So that wasn't much of an announcement, but this puts it into context, right? Yeah. Oh, now I understand why there's a major initiative at Epic, which has a lot of fish to fry for Lego. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we... uh, I mean, again, huge brand with unlimited potential. But um, obviously, uh, Epic is involved with some very big things now. Um, you know, the Epic, they just released Unreal Engine 5, uh, which has the potential to empower a kind of cloud streaming of photorealistic games, which is, I think, what everybody is starting to feel the ground trembling with that a little bit, following, you know, the cloud services, uh, the cloud gaming services, you know, also are going to put the game console business in a tailspin. And, you know, the game console business is kind of stalled because of the supply chain issue is very real for them because they need cheap parts, you know, and that just ain't happening anymore. So it's kind of, again, this convergence of the competition and the difficulty in sustaining their business plan, which consistent theme of ours, Ted, is made of atoms and what you want is a business comprised of bits. Right, which is something we always keep going back to is all of the success across the enterprise sectors and the business sectors and the heavy light industry sectors that are really driving the real economy underneath all this, right? Um, and the sort of consumer layer to, to Mike's point, it's in that sort of frothy, bubbly kind of, it will find its way, but it's gonna find its way in very interesting unknown ways, right, over the next, five, seven years kind of to define it. So so for Epic, I think this makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense for its investors too, because we talk about all those moving parts and we talk about how there's going to be sort of a stack required for whatever this thing becomes that we call the metaverse. It's going to need connectivity. It's going to need infrastructure. It's going to need content, an identity layer, all of these sort of things, right? The stack. And I think at the center of all that are going to be game engines. And I think that Epic and uh, Unreal Engine is probably best positioned. Unreal Engine 5, you can tell they're really going at growth markets in you know Hollywood production in addition to games, because of course they have you know a lot of market share in games, but a growth area is going to be cinematic production. Um, so I think the interesting thing is what they're going to do with that money next. Um, I think that they're probably going to make a lot of acquisitions to accelerate that path. Um, they've already accelerated some content studios and gaming studios like Harmonix. Um, they could- They bought Sketchfab. Yeah, know, there you go. Volumetric photography catches on. You know, Sketchfab has, you know, again, the potential to be, I, I don't know, a, you know, a, a giant- YouTube-like platform for volumetric content. Yeah, and I wonder with all this money if they don't go out and buy like a small Hollywood production studio for that vertical integration and get a toehold there. 
It's it's possible. I mean, the entertainment business continues its consolidation and its transformation from you know a company that distributes something to physical theaters rather than something that's continuously streaming, you know, entertainment onto devices. So, you know, along these lines, there's a company called Genies. We were green rooming this, Ted. Yes. That, uh, just raised $150 million at a $1 billion valuation. This is their second round of funding following 65 million last year. They make NFTs for Universal Music and Warner Brothers Music. They're their official NFT partner. I mean, what, what does that even mean? I'll ask you guys, what does it even mean, right? I mean, I think they're defining what it means, but the the big sort of buzz around this, and correct me if I'm wrong, because there are two genies floating around in the, yes. in the genie-verse, uh, yes. so we have to define what they two are, but this is the one you're referring to that Bob Iger just joined yes. the board of a couple of weeks ago, right? Um, and I think that set the stage for his post-Disney, what he's going to do world, uh, and a belief structure about this digital entertainment transformation that he's been in for many generations, finding those new moments where he wants to sort of take something on. And I think it was a sort of a bold step, right? So you guys probably have some thoughts about that. Mike, jump in here. Yeah, I think that there's there's still this big missing piece when it comes to avatar systems. And it's one of those pieces of that stack that I referred to earlier. It's a, it's a key piece, but there's just like this big question mark of all of these avatar systems keep coming out and there's fragmentation and they're all claiming that their avatars are going to be universal. Mm -hmm. And that's the key word and the interoperability that everyone's talking about that's going to really tie a lot of this together. But I, I don't see how that's going to happen when you have the Unreal Engines of the world and other publishers and platforms. They're the ones who get to decide what different sort of software works on their systems when it comes to a compatible avatar system. Will my avatar look the way it's supposed to when I show up in Fortnite versus some other sort of right. virtual experience? And we, we talk you're, not about gonna, you're not going to show up in Horizon Worlds looking like your Call of Duty avatar. Yeah, we, right. We I mean, there's stylistic the, differences. There's, but yes, yeah, sorry, go on. No, I so said we talk about this all the time. I mean, the, the idea of the, the walled garden effect, right? Yeah. And how high are those walled gardens? And, you know, so we're using a Zoom client to do our podcast every week. And we couldn't very easily just bring in another guest via FaceTime, right? Or Google or exactly. Google Meet or Microsoft Teams. It's just not going to happen, right? N not even with the aspirations of maybe it would be nice for it to happen, just the technical underpinnings and who's going to pay for the cost of that tunneling and all of that work, right? Yeah. So there is this belief structure, this kind of theoretical kind of, you know, socialistic conceptual belief structure that we can make this harmonious right. connectivity between all these different privatized companies that all have profit motives to keep you in their world, not other people's worlds. But I think the three of us have a pretty realistic take on it that that's just not really yeah. going to happen. And right? that's the challenge. The vested interests involved aren't, aren't interested in all coming to the table and saying, yeah, let's all just be interoperable, which right. if you look at the web today, it predated all of these tech giants that have such sway. Right now, going into this next era, you know, they have the ability and Facebook is trying to, or Meta is trying to, you know, sway it in its direction. And we're going to see a lot of that. So that's sort of like, web-like interoperability and standards, I think is, is the key we all keep talking about, but like there are major forces probably preventing that from happening to your point, Ted. Yeah, I mean, the counter argument, which is sort of an interesting thing for the three of us to debate is if we look at email as an example, right? Email is 
highly interoperable. <laughs> so, you know, everybody's got different email monikers. Well, and, and so are web pages. And web pages are yeah. highly interoperable. And HTML, so it can be HTML, searched. HTML, HTTPS, standards. That's my crazy misunderstanding about virtual land, right? I mean, aren't I just going to go to whatever web presence you have via hyperlink like I would today? Yeah. I mean, why would you being on a particular platform or you being next door to Snoop Dogg matter to me? Right. I'm going because, to Ted's house, not yeah. Snoop Dogg's house. Right. Yeah. Because there's an artificial construct that is that that you know companies are trying to monetize on which is virtual land is real therefore you can't just hop from place to place so they're trying to hold on to that but that may be but they'll hold on to that on. for people who want to go to social worlds like that yeah so it's so a full you know, circle to avatars one of the ways this could work at just like a 40,000 foot level i always look at the way that emoji currently work um, it's based on Unicode, which is a. You know, it's funny. You know, I thought the same thing. It's right. it's a universal thing. So if I'm on WhatsApp and I text you on iMessage with a little you know smile wink emoji or thumbs up or whatever it is, it actually shows up. It's stylized slightly differently because each of those platforms has their own look and feel, but it's still, for the most part, the the sort of Unicode that translates. Um, so some version of that might need to be yes. the way that avatars go sort of cross worlds. I think that Unreal is going to have a lot to say about this. I mean, they've introduced metahumans, which is sort of a, a very smart way to do what everybody does the minute they make their first avatar, which is it's a version, an idealized version of you, a younger, fitter, hairier uh, version of you. And, you know, I think that's going to be very powerful. And so they may be able to set a standard using that as a plugin, like, okay, you can put in meta avatars or ready player me or whatever you want, but you know, here's our default photorealistic idealized yeah. avatar. That's much easier to use than all the rest of them because it's part of the platform. But they're the ones who are going to decide that not these companies right. that are getting funded that are the actual avatar, you know, the genie genie of the world. Although, you know, there's one company in here that we're ignoring. They just raised $14 million at the same time. So it, it obviously uh, has kind of been drowned out, but in many ways is cooler. And I encourage you to look at the video on in the Forbes column today. It's a company called The Fabricant. Yeah. And they allow you to make bespoke fashion from templates. So they, they've got a fashion designer who's making a template that looks pretty good, but then you can put animation on it. Um, you know, all sorts of, you know, stylize it in all sorts of ways that are bespoke. Uh, and then presumably it becomes an NFT that gets somehow magically attached to whatever avatar system you're using, or you'll use a specific avatar system, which is allows you to wear their, uh, the costumes that you make. I mean, but it would be pretty incredible if you could do that and then take that costume to VR chat and show it off. Yeah, and how atomized do we get here? Because we're talking about personalized is everything, right? avatars. Now we're talking about the actual accoutrement. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's going to- Oh, look, and there's, I mean, a digital pets company came yep. along. Yeah. And, that, and, and now let me shift gears to AR. Well, first with the pets thing really quick, I was joking yesterday that if we are indeed in a bubble, is this the pets.com of this right. bubble? Exactly. I, the NFT. The I NFT think this pet. is a relatively small company from Israel that I just stuck in here because um, I think on the heels of these other NFT stories, it was 
oh, why not? Yeah. <laughs> For me, the two moments of like, this is this is the beginning of the end, Mike, was the <laughs> NFT pet and the NFT McRib. Yeah, there you go. When those hit the, the radar, know. I was like, okay, this is it. We jumped the shark. We jumped the shark, exactly. So, well, here's something that I think has not jumped the shark, TikTok. Mm. And they and did two very good things now. this week um, that, again, kind of got drowned out. Otherwise, it would be the top story we were talking about. Because, first of all, they uh, introduced Effects House. And, Mike, I, why don't you take this one? Because I think this was the topic of your column this week. Yeah, so... Um... I've been saying for a while that TikTok is sort of the sleeping giant of AR. And it's not a sleeping giant, broadly speaking. It has a billion global users. But in AR, its efforts are a little bit underbaked relative to you know, a company like Snap. And so where it sat till this week was actually where Before it launched Lens Studio. And as we've learned from that, an open developer platform is jet fuel for any AR play. Um, because what Snap has been able to do there is, you know, they've crowdsourced all of this lens creation. They've incentivized all that creation. So then all of these lenses get created. It then attracts users, which, you know, have deeper engagement and in larger numbers, which attracts more developers. And it's sort of that classic flywheel effect. And then you get to 6 billion lens plays per day, which is what Snap's at now. And all those big numbers attract the real end game, which is brand advertisers advertising on the platform. So there's a real business outcome that traces back to that initial move, which is to create this open developer platform. So I think that's significant in what you know, TikTok has done now, which is, you know, Effect How which is essentially their lens studio. It actually is very similar in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, they, they, it's going to depend if they can execute as well as Snap has, but the pieces are in place for them to now go into hyperdrive in scaling the actual lens creation by crowdsourcing it. Um, I, I mean, I think TikTok is, is killing it right now. So this is just, as you said, Mike, it has potential jet fuel uh, hmm. to pull people away from other platforms as Facebook admitted that they were. Uh, and you have to believe that if Facebook is feeling that effect, that Snapchat is vulnerable as well. Uh, and also, by the way, TikTok is good. So, uh, and by the way, uh, fairness uh, to Instagram and Facebook, so is Reels. Uh, anyway, I don't want to talk about social media because then we'll end up talking about Elon Musk and that will use up the rest of the half hour. We won't be talking about XR. Let me just say, by the way, on the topic of Elon Musk, oh my God, and he's saying it's going to be good for democracy. That is terrifying because you know the opposite is true. Just uh, went down the rabbit hole, Charlie, as much as you sorry, tried. Okay, let's yeah. move on. Let's stick with TikTok because, you know, they haven't done much with Pico since buying it last year for $900 million. Pico has sort of stayed the course as a kind of staid business brand, you know, uh, VR for training uh, here yep. in the West. And in China, it is a popular, I would say, uh, VR headset among many. Uh, because the Chinese market is is pretty competitive. We don't know a whole lot about it, or I don't. Uh, but they decided to bring the uh, Pico Neo 3 to consumer markets in the West and in the United States. It's not going to have as big uh, a get an app store, but they're uh, aiming for that space in between gamers and productivity. And, and it's not a subsidized costing device, right? So it's going to be close to $1,000 to buy it, right? Yeah, so. that's a key point. I mean, everyone in the West, at least, has fled the consumer VR market because of Facebook's loss leader pricing. You can't compete with that. Um, they're subsidized pricing. Um, so it's sort of a bold move to, to move in, in there. 
I mean, obviously they're feeling like they can afford it because yeah. consumer marketing, you know, even if you're only looking for a number three spot after Sony uh, and Meta uh, is still incredibly expensive. Mm -hmm. They're actually going in the opposite direction now that I think about it, because a lot of players that competed with Oculus or, or now Meta um, have, have shifted into enterprise, right? Like HTC. Um, right. And so now you have Pico, which was largely serving um, enterprise, at least in Western markets, now moving into consumer. And of course, they had a consumer play in, um, in China and throughout Asia. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to grab some market share there, because it's just dominated by Sony and Meta in, in the West, at least. Let's, let's hit the rest of the stories in sort of a speed round here. Um, and I'll just go to you guys with stories uh, for the color. How's that? Sounds good. All right, so Ted, we're starting with Meta begins to monetize um, in-world sales from its creators. Yeah, so maybe. This. There's been a big backlash because people love it when Meta does things that can be roundly criticized, uh, yes. as this certainly was. Well, and like multiple sides of the equation, I think yes. the first argument is maybe a little too early to remove the, the subsidization strategy yeah. of keep building the market, keep cultivating, keep bringing people into their walled garden, and then slowly, once you're fully committed, once you're fully pregnant with them and you've got to, you know, that's where your economy is, then they start taking their, uh, their profit layers. Yeah, they're doing it with hardware. Why not here, right? Right, right. And they have been for for many years, right across many sectors. Yeah. So you know, and and it's it's a it's a pretty healthy chunk. But I think there's pressure from the board on if you're going to make this pivot to this new form of your company, how are you going to make money with this new form of your company? And this is potentially one way that they're at least putting their putting themselves out there, at least in the public eye, saying no, this is going to be a profit venture for us. Yeah, they're, 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 you're absolutely right. They need to start at least showing something there. But this goes back to this sort of TikTok and Snap move of crowdsourcing the development of experiences because otherwise you show up there and just nothing's happening. Right, right. And there is a lot of this nothing's happening. This is a bigger sort of broader challenge with technology overtaking the organic growth of a sector, right? And because technology is so easy to because over the last 40, 50 years on it, we now have so many of these virtual land platforms and these virtual NFT, you know, situations and all these things and largely, you know, ghost towns for a lot of them, right? Because unless you can market it and really get awareness for it in a continual fashion, yeah. which is really hard to do, like Charlie makes the point about TikTok being so successful because it's got a continual draw point, right? And Facebook for many generations, continual draw point, but fading away. And that's why they buy other companies and pivot around. Um, so you're in an interesting time where technology makes things really easy to, to prop up, to get going, uh, and you end up with a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. That, yeah. Well, it isn't like the one of the... This is that land value is based on scarcity. Right. And that's the, the metaphor that they're trying to, to hold in some of these virtual land platforms. But to Charlie's point, it may not hold for very long. Yeah, um, and it's not scarce. They really want that metaphor in their virtual worlds, right? They just want to click on the icon and go there. They don't. Yeah, and it's not scarce navigate. if it if there's such saturation. There, there's so many of them, and no one's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's interesting. Exactly. So, uh, Mike, here's something from Enterprise VR trading platform Remio raising four point five million dollars, and they're going after that training and collaboration mm -hmm. space. Uh, they claim several uh, marquee customers, but it seems like this space has been struggling. 
Yeah. And this is sort of the like beaten potatoes of the spatial spectrum. I mean, it's, it's, it's not as sexy as talking about a lot of the consumer stuff, but enterprise training has a real endpoint. It has real ROI. Um, you have a few players there like Striver that have, um, you know, sort of been around for a while and are, are really, I think, nailing it. Um, I don't know a lot about this company um, before I heard about this funding. So I still have to sort of dig they, into this, but they, I, they gamify training and okay. teaching. So it's not, you know, it looks a little bit like uh, Mozilla hubs. So sure. it's not very sophisticated visually, but they have a lot of, um, you know, uh, uh, game team games. Sure. Don't require you to be a gamer. It's you know, so an interesting like a approach. Blindfolded game where you're trying to keep somebody walking forward but not falling off the edge. Yeah. You, for example. So it's an yeah. interesting approach. We know that there's efficacy in VR training in terms of the memory recall, in terms of the brain encoding of just highly immersive experiences. Works great in retail. So I think there's a lot of growth still there to be had because we know it has efficacy, but its actual penetration is still so low among all of the different types of verticals and organizations that could be using this. So Ted, last story, and uh, and uh, there were a bunch more in the column this week, but uh, Somnium Space, so this is one of those uh, virtual land companies that uh, has been very successful in you know self creating its own currency. They're small, but um, they seem to be building a strong economy. Yeah. So, uh, and they have a lot of money as a result of you know selling the crypto. Uh, are creating. I was going to say there's a there's a crypto play to this, which is Mana, part of right. it's Mana. So they're using Mana to create an AI which would track you inside of Somnium space, and slowly over time, even if you are deceased, use that tracking data to create a more and more realistic rep representation of who you were, mm -hmm. so that your grandchildren can visit you or your great grandchildren or other ancestors, and you will have evolved following death. Yes. So it, it does feel like there's a, there's a, a B movie in the works there. Right? Uh, and, it, and it feels like that movie's been done a few times uh, around the idea of, uh, you know, the sort of technological, like removing everything of you and putting it into a virtual portal. Uh, and then of course it can come back to haunt and, you know, do all kinds of other <laughs> terrible things in the world. So there's your B movie. Um, I guess in one perspective, it's a natural evolution of what we do with our media silos that we create, you know, all our pictures that we keep online these days, depending on what platform you use, and, and it's sort of a repository of your life, and then all the people that are constantly sort of posting their moments in life on their various social media so platforms. In that context, not crazy. Right. No, it's not crazy. I mean, it really isn't crazy because it's already happening. Yeah. This is just a different, a little more sophisticated construct of that and, and a group trying to monetize upon that in some fashion. Whatever so. happened to freezing yourself? <laughs> I think yeah, this well, is a yeah. better idea, actually, because when you're unfrozen, you're still old. So who's the company? I think it was 8i, that sort of photogrammetry capture studio. They did something along these lines oh, where yeah. it was just basically like to now make they run it. around. They run around capturing uh, actors on the sets of movies. Yeah. In case they die before the movie is finished. <laughs> right. So uh, part anyway, program. any parting thoughts on where we are? We're almost in the middle of the year, Mike. What, what can we expect for the balance of this year, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the progression of XR? 
So I think that you guys hit the nail on the head earlier when you were talking about the broader fundamental sort of shift towards things that are streaming, software, atoms, not bits. One of the things that occurred to me when I was talking about it's Snap. It's not atoms. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, Snap, the creator platforms. When you look at the tremendous success um, from a sort of business model standpoint of, you know, Meta, Snapchat, a lot of these companies, they essentially act like media companies. They get all the advantages and margins of media companies, but without one of the biggest cost components of media, which you guys well know, which is yeah, content, content, right? Content is king, oh, but it's also damn expensive. So, you know, they've been able to essentially crowdsource the creation of all of the content. Um, so I think that, you know, especially right now when you're seeing things like supply chain issues, we're just going to see a lot more. And this isn't probably a, a new concept now that I'm hearing myself saying it. It's just the old software is eating the world. But I think we're going to continue to see that. Well, YouTube was the originator of that, right? Like yeah. flipping the model on its head and not even knowing that they were going to do it. And that's my point, which I sort of bring up on this podcast a lot, is that the organic sort of layers of how something gets built versus the let's build a startup to try and achieve this objective are always more powerful when it's organic. I think it's, it's yeah. one of those things, it's one of those things, right, where we're totally right, but it's going to take a really long time. <laughs> and there are going to be a lot of twists and turns along the journey. When we were thinking about, um, you know, the internet in 1995, we were not thinking about Google. And so we're kind of in that moment, right? We're thinking about spatial computing in 2022, but in 2032, we're going to look back and say, we didn't see this. We didn't see that. Yes, we'll be at this future point, but you know, I think we'll see some big companies stumble and, and some new companies arrive. My you know, issue there is that those big companies probably will buy them. It will be almost impossible for them, you know, for a, a new Instagram to become its own company. Um, now that's where regulation comes in and there may be uh, in the future some you know, movement to force the companies to divest so that they're less powerful and in a way um, you know, new public companies, new Googles can arise. Um, but well, that's what we another... have this morning as a show. It's uh, 8.35. Uh, great to see you gentlemen. And um, uh, we'll see everybody again next Friday here at This Week in XR. And let me just say, I forgot to thank our sponsor, Verbella. It was great having Alex Howland on the show yeah. last week. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks, guys.